and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You feel like you get sucked into a pace, a pace of life that is overwhelming. You say yes to so many things that all of a sudden you don't have any margin. You have no time for the spontaneous at all. You have no time for the intentionality of life that sometimes is required by God where he says, no, I'd, I'd like you to be here, but, but God, I'm busy here. I, I can't do what you want me to do. I, how about you just bless what I'm doing? Have you prayed that one before? Many of you know that, that past and that story of mine uh, being in outdoors ministry, and I kept telling God, but there are kids that need Jesus, and I am happy, right, to be at camp all summer long. I mean, I will sacrifice in 105-degree heat for you, God. And, and if, the, if that can continue through the fall and I can be a full-time camp director, that would be so awesome. Please, Lord, bless my plans for you. Uh-huh. That's why I'm here. It is. This is not my choosing. This is God's choosing. I like it. But this is not my plan. This is God's plan. There are times that I love to be out in the mountains with just a, a tent or a hammock all by myself in the quietness and the stillness. And I say, oh, this, I am so communing with God in peace and quiet. You know what I'm doing? I'm being selfish. At that very moment, I'm being selfish. That very moment, I am not living in community as God would have me live. I'm not sharing the beauty of his creation with anyone. I am not speaking, praying, encouraging, lifting up anyone. And you'd think after nearly 13 years of being a pastor that the Lord would have softened my heart by now. And yet, just yesterday, I am at the YMCA, not doing what I wanted to do in the morning, but watching my children run in and out of the water. I put up a sweatshirt with a hoodie, trying not to be seen because you all are there. I'm leaning up against the wall even faking being asleep, and a member walks, but Pastor Dye announces to everyone <laughs> that Pastor Dyer is present and in the house. Oh, I wanted peace and quiet to be alone. She said, I am so glad to see you. I got this, this little email or this, this post on my Facebook. I don't know really how to think about it. I, I don't know that it's right. I read it. No, you're right. Your discernment is up. That's not a good thing. God isn't causing all of these horrible things to happen in your life. No, he's actually with you while all the junk of life is happening. Just a little tweak, just a little bit to kind of help reorient. I am so thankful. We almost didn't come to the pool today, and I'm just so thankful that you were here, and I just thank God that you were. And I was like, uh, I guess. <laughs> and I wasn't exasperated with her. 
exasperated with God. I have not been called to live as an island unto myself, but to live in community. That's how the body of Christ is meant to be. And it doesn't matter our personalities, whether you think you're an individual, uh, you, you really uh, took on your parents' or your grandparents' teaching of rugged individualism. You can put your boots on by yourself. You don't need anybody's help. You are strong and competent. Here's the problem, though. Really strong, competent people don't usually need God. Really strong, competent people who are used to getting their own way don't usually follow God's will. Really strong, confident kinds of people tell God what they're going to do. Really strong, confident people, they don't die very well. They don't die to themselves very well. They don't die to their passions very well. they're stubborn they're selfish they're prideful there are two things that mark the body of Christ the body of Christ is alive and well where individuals have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and secondly they are people of action They are people that give generously their time, their talents, and their treasures. They are people of prayer. They are people of forgiveness. They are people who reach out. They are known beyond a shadow of a doubt to be people of action. That is a hallmark of Christian community. They are not separatists. They are open. They are welcoming, and they are inviting. And this morning, they stare at each other. (laughs) Yes, there's a reason to worship in the round. One, it mimics the Old Testament practice of the 12 tribes of Israel. As they gathered around the tabernacles, it sat in the center of their belief in the group of those believers. We do this because we are reminded we are all in this together from every tribe and nation, from every background and town, from every type of job and every kind of failure. God's people gather around. And there at the center is Jesus Christ. And we will never lose that. We will never forget that. And at that center is God our Savior. And because of that, we choose to orient our lives around God. That he gets to be the center. That he gets to be the thing from which we emanate and go out from. And this is no different. Even in the Old Testament, we've got, uh, read this scripture with me from Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go away. You know what Christians do? They actually encourage people to hang around. They don't say, oh, you grew up Methodist? Well, there's a Methodist church down the road. No, I'm not 
saying that we're trying to be all eclectic. and all, But you know what? This church is for people to gather around God's word, to receive the sacrament, to receive his word, to receive forgiveness, to be built up, encouraged, discipled, and then sent. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you came from the Catholic church or no church. I don't care that even if this morning you're going, <laughs> this is the most unnerving, uncomfortable I have ever been. If they could do this every week, we are not coming back here. <laughs> Here's the one shared thing that we have all in common is that God has asked us to come and die to ourself. To put on that white robe of righteousness that comes to ours in the holy waters of baptism, to be cleansed, to be established as his son or daughter, and then to live, live in community. To live together. Now here's the issue if I have my guess that we choose to not live in community. It's called the challenge of interpersonal relationships. You started learning about this in junior high when you started trying to figure out that I don't like them and then you chose not to hang around somebody because they dressed differently or smelled differently or acted differently or whatever. And as you got older through high school, those challenges just kept growing. And as you got into the workforce, they kept growing. There are coworkers that you just don't like. They leave trash laying around. Neighbors who let their dogs do their business in your yard. You don't like them. And it's real easy to point out the lack of interpersonal relationship, good, strong foundations that we have in the other. But let's just talk about our own households this morning. How are your interpersonal relationships going? Go ahead on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being we are perfectly good communicators and we love each other. We never fail to take into account the other person's point of view. And a 1 somewhere way down the scale. 1 to 3, how are you doing? You got any 1 to 3s? 4 to 6s? We got 4 to 6s? Yeah, everyone always picks the middle, liars. <laughs> Seven to nine. How many seven to nines do we have? No, we are, we are so loving, kind, and caring. In our, how many tens do we have? That's right, because Marcus lives alone. <laughs> and his interpersonal relationships are awesome. Okay? He doesn't have a dog. He doesn't have a cat. He doesn't have to put up with anybody's business. Okay? We encouraged him the other day. He was complaining about having to get wood into the house for his wood fireplace, right? Said, Mark, put that in your garage. It'll just invite the mice in, and we don't need that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He doesn't want to see little furry animals. So here's the reason we probably don't live in community. One, we're selfish. And if you think of yourself as anything else than that, then you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you. You're wrong. We're selfish, we're prideful, and we think we can do it on our own. I want you to hear a story from 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now I want you to know the cave of Adullam is 13 miles west of Bethlehem, straight west. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Read that verse with me just again. All of those that were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. 
That's a picture of the body of Christ. People coming together. They, they marshaled their time, their energy, their resources, and they come together. David is fleeing from Saul at this moment. This is where the story is. Because Saul's trying to kill him, so he's hiding out in a cave. And his family even says, let's go to him. He became their commander. It continues in verse 3, about 400 men were with him. Scripture lists these 400 men as being these mighty warriors around David. And they, they bring their resources together to do, do incredible things. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. And now again, this is a weird twist to the story. The family doesn't stay in the cave. The 400 mighty men do. But the family, he sends out, he makes... He makes plans for them. He still takes care of them. You see, I see that as the body of Christ that says there are some groups, man, they come together and they hang out in the caves. And there are others that we make arrangements for people to live in community. 2 Samuel 23 kind of continues the story. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors, this, this is out of the 40, there were 30, 400, there were 30 of these guys, and three of them, came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. I mean, hundreds of soldiers right outside of Bethlehem, and he's 13 miles to the west. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Oh, it's sweet, right? It's like having water from home. When you return home, nothing tastes like your glass of water. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. We have our first marathon. Okay, no. Um, but 26 miles, okay? But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me to do this. And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. And it goes on to tell all these other stories of the 30 mighty warriors of David. The point being this, they did life together. And when one of them said, you know, it'd kind of be nice to have a, a little present, a little something special from home. These three guys go, hey, let's, David's up. We're, he's awesome. <laughs> We're going to go do this hard thing. We're going to go through the enemy lines, get him some water, travel back another 13 miles. You see what living in community did for these guys? They did things way bigger than they ever could have done by themselves. Living in community does that. It encourages you to step way out of your comfort zone. It encourages you to go way beyond what you think is doable or comfortable. Acts 2 tells us this. After Jesus has gone back up into heaven, the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
This last Friday, one of our members is hosting a, a kind of a separate life group, uh, separate from their own family's life group, to go through uh, this devotion from Hugh Halter. <laughs> she commented, Pastor, people came over to my house. I've never had people over at my house. And we shared stories, and we kind of broke down and, and told the, the intimate details of our lives, and guess what? God was there. God was there. He showed up. Huh, imagine that. Go figure. Wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of all your kids' play toys, smelly diaper pails, and unkempt floors. And the ladies that gathered didn't care because Jesus was there. They held everything in common. This is the early believers. They do stuff together. They take their resources and their abilities so that the kingdom of God can expand and grow. We have a young couple in our congregation who approached me recently. Hey, they want to they, they help the kingdom of God grow. Long story short, uh, debt right out of, of college, right? You know what kind of debt that is, right? Uh, house buying, car buying, paying for a wedding. Right, you get, can you hear the cash registers just go, you know, going off, right? And you, and you have some of that. Huge amount of debt. Take a Dave Ramsey course. They're now eight years later, they're going to pay it all off. And they said, Pastor, we've been released from debt. What can we do to help the kingdom of God grow? Oh, awesome. Well, we're going to share it with people. That's what we're going to do. I don't mean the money. I mean the, the, the wisdom, the knowledge of how to live that kind of debt, for, how to be aggressive and pay off. I'm talking a huge amount of debt. I'm not talking twenty or 30 or 50,000. I'm talking multiple six figures in eight years. Huge! By the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this about the body of Christ. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that no one died for all. Or sorry, that one died for all and therefore all died. And as he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. We no longer live for ourselves. Christ lives in us. That's tough. Remember in high school, building your resume, right? Classes passed, activities gone into, get into college, service groups, good grades, internships, get out of that, moving on to the next job, and you're trying to build up the resume in the background, and you're trying to build up your name. You get a first job, and you really want to work hard, so why? So people notice you, and so you can get advancement and keep going, and you get this rank, and then that rank. And all of a sudden, you hear that the Word of God says, die to all that? It doesn't mean don't participate in it. It means die to the selfishness that leads you in that way, that sets you up for failure and disappointment. And instead... Be a part of the body of Christ that says, how are we going to build up the kingdom of God? 1 Peter 4. Above all, love each other deeply. <laughs> because love covers over a multitude of sins. To live in community means to love deeply. 
to be loved deeply. To allow yourself to be loved deeply. And offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word hospitality is, is to share with a visitor, a stranger. Each of you should use whatever uh, you give and have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you understand how varied and different God's grace is in, in your life even? You know, when you, the doctor tells you, hey, you've got cancer, and then all of a sudden you, you go through that, and it's a year later, and you're like, you mean I'm in remission? I mean, that's God's grace. And other times, hey, I've got cancer, and I was supposed to die within a couple of weeks or months, and I've been given years. It still may kill me, but that's God's grace. How he reminds us all the time that he causes it to rain on the godly and ungodly alike, and that hacks us off. I mean, Lord, you could make this really easy. Wherever Islam is, cause it to be really dry. And don't make any food grow there, God. And then you could just get rid of them. And that's how we think. Instead of understanding that God would desire that all men come to the knowledge of Christ. That all men would receive his grace. Maybe I've got hopeful, wishful thinking. Maybe it's not going to happen for certain groups of people, but I don't pray that way. I pray that God's grace would come to all. I hope that's your prayer too. Because again, as we go through these verses in Philippians, I want you to understand. Verse 1, Paul says, servants of Christ Jesus. That's who you've been called to be. It's not this slave idea. It's not that you are just to do the dregs of things, but that you're a servant. A, a leader servant. Someone that helps take charge in the lives of those around you. Dads. To be a servant in your family means to lead boldly. As husbands, to lead your spouse boldly. Kids, in your schools, to lead boldly. In your professions, your vocations, to lead co-workers, even if you don't have the position or title of leader, but to lead boldly for Jesus Christ. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus of Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. You know what? I thank God all the time that you share this responsibility with me. That as your overseer, as the pastor, as our elders uh, continue to be raised up and grow in the word and truth and be discipled as well, that you, we share in this, this proclamation, in this living out of the word. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. That's part of my prayer each and every week as I pray for all of our members and our regular worshiping families. As I continue to pray through that, I pray for God's grace and peace to be with you. Even in the midst of all of the junk that's going on in your life, grace and peace. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I have no doubt that what God is doing in your life is for your good. 
I have no doubt that even the junky things that are going on in your life, God is aware of. He is not causing in your life, but he is walking beside you so that he can lift you up in due time. I have no doubt or fear that what God is working in you is an awesome thing, even if you don't know what it is yet. Because I am confident that my God is a God of action. Your God is a God that moves and shapes and transforms and raises up. He, he, he takes you out of darkness, his word says. He, he puts you in marvelous light. And he says, I've got life for you. I've got good things for you. And we partner in this. Verse 6, 7. It is right for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace. Do you hear the theme over and over and over? What are we sharing in? Peace, grace, forgiveness. We've been given a ton so much. But there are people that need to hear it. There are people that need to know it. There are others that need to have it shared with them. Next verse. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Turn to your spouse if you're worshiping with them today and say this phrase with me. Or if your kids are with you, say it to one of them. <laughs> I love you like Jesus loves you. And then laugh and giggle because you know it's not true. <laughs> now look at your spouse or your kid and say these words. I want so badly to love you like Jesus loves you. So you said it in church. And I'm going to ask you how that went this next week. It's going to take a lot of humility to love them like Jesus loves them. The kind of humility that would go to a cross and take your sin, bear the shame, die the death you deserve. The kind of humility that says, I will take on the pain and the suffering of this world. And I will do the one thing that none of you can do. And that is die with the sin and weight of the world and pay for that sin. And in doing so, that cross will be empty when I am raised, when I am buried and raised again. The cross is empty, and because the cross is empty, you have life. Next verse. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You, too, are raised from the dead. You are. You are. Your sins are forgiven. Now be raised. So you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know him to be Lord and Savior. Secondly, put it into action. I'm convinced that the best way to put it into action is that we do this together. Join a life group, you ask some neighbors. We're not talking 5, 10, 20 families all together. We're talking two or three families. Get with people and start praying, reading, and dying to self. And I will promise you this, that the love of a God that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. That in all of these things, what God has said is that I will cause the individual to die so that the countercultural cadence of community living will change everything. The countercultural cadence of community living 
may it change everything.